Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, it's the Oscars, Andy! We did it! 2023! Uh, That's right. <laughs> we're, maybe, big, we're maybe a little big, late. We're a little party. late, but we're here. <laughs> listen, listen. Life happens. All right. And hey, you haven't heard our opinions on the Oscars, which are really the ones that matter the most. We're also talking about Scream 6. Hot takes on Scream 6. <laughs> Andy and I saw Scream 5 for the show. Uh, we liked it. We've seen Scream 6. You'll hear about it. Uh, we're going to talk about Creed 3, MGM, and Amazon, uh, and this interesting kind of relationship that's come out since uh, we you know, have, have seen the film and heard about it. Uh, we're going to talk about a Little Mermaid trailer, and before all that, we need to get to the news. Uh, first thing this week, uh, James Gunn is doing a Superman movie. Uh, this was kind of rumored a little while ago after James Gunn took over as creative head of DC Studios, uh, creative CEO, really, and uh, now it's he was looking at a script, and it wasn't really sure if he was going to do anything with it, but it seems like... He is intending on directing the new Superman film. Uh, big step up from Guardians of the Galaxy, Andy. Yes, this is going to be his first foray into like a major, major comic book character for both Marvel and, and DC. Um, it's exciting stuff. He was a little hesitant to to take this on. He was apparently offered a Superman movie before doing the Suicide Squad, um, but I uh, didn't like the something about it. the project turned it down and ended up not doing it. And, uh, he's now he's written the script himself. And so he's going to be taking it on. And, uh, it's exciting times because we, we weren't real sure who was going to direct this movie. Yeah. It's, uh, going to be Gunn's first time directing, like, you know, an A list superhero, like even as much as we like the guardians, like they're a little B tier, right? Like, but Superman is like the one. Like <laughs> it's it is the 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 shining crown of the flagship of DC Studios. Uh, it it is kind of their big thing, right? He's the superhero, uh, so it's definitely a step up. But I think if anything, it's going to be ideally like a bit of a reflection of what Gunn wants to do with the studio, right, and where he wants to take DC. Uh, when he turned down uh, apparently the, the his first approach for a Superman movie uh, before he did Suicide Squad for Warner's, he said, "quote I initially said no." to Superman because I didn't have a way in a way in that felt unique and fun and emotional that gave Superman the dignity he deserved. And James Gunn's movies are uniquely fun and emotional. Same with Peacemaker, uh, his DC show. Like, so I think he's going to do something cool with the character. Um, I don't know what the plot's going to be. Is there something about that, Andy? I thought there was something about family. Uh, no, or... we, we, we don't know much. He is going to kind of focus on what makes Superman, Superman, both his upbringing on earth with his uh, earthly parents and some of his uh, Kryptonian parents as well, being like aristocrats, royalty, whatever. Um, and then there's another line in there about being kind in a world where kindness is, is not really uh, held up as a virtue anymore. So kind of what, what we know Superman to be for, an inspiring figure. Uh, last notable kind of thing on this, uh, Superman will not be played by Henry Cavill. If you missed our episode a couple weeks ago when we talked about this, uh, Henry Cavill is out of Superman. He's not doing it, which is weird because Henry Cavill is is kind of a beloved Superman. I think everybody, general audiences agree he's solid. Um, so I don't know who it's going to be yet, right? We don't we don't have a lead on who new soup is. No, n nothing. And it's I mean this movie's two and a half years away. Um, we're probably not going to get any casting news for at least another year or so. Yeah, um, I don't think we have a formal release date yet uh do we july it's say? july 2025 okay july 11th 2025 uh hang tight <laughs> subscribe to off script to hear our review of superman legacy uh our next story uh guillermo del toro's frankenstein 
has got quite the cast list. Uh, he's making Frankenstein for Netflix, and uh, he's, this is following up his his Pinocchio movie that just got nominated for an Academy Award for uh, one. Jesus, it was it just one best animated feature. We'll talk about the Academy mm-hmm. Awards here at the end. Spoiler uh, one, but <laughs> <laughs> spoiler one, yeah. Uh, but uh, his next feature is Frankenstein, something he's always wanted to adopt. Infamous uh, monster movie fan and. Uh, they just announced a, a certain somebody that I think is, is rounding out a really awesome cast. Right. So Oscar Isaac, um, Andrew Garfield, and Mia Goth are all attached to this project. Um, we're not sure who's playing who. Uh, could be uh, Andrew Garfield, might be Frankenstein, could be Oscar Isaac, or they could swap. One could be the mad scientist. Who knows what Mia Goth is doing? But this is pretty exciting. This is right at home where Guillermo del Toro loves monster movies. When you think back to things like Pan's Labyrinth or The Shape of Water and even Pinocchio, he he loves to tell a story involving monsters or develop stories around monster and kind of these mythical figures. Um, Frankenstein has been adapted many times, sometimes well, sometimes not, but th- this would be pretty exciting stuff. And, and you know, Netflix can be hit or miss, but generally when someone like the, a great director like Del Toro takes the helm, it's usually pretty good. Yeah, along with, like, a great cast. Um, you know, Andrew Garfield, I think, is often remembered as, like, oh, yeah, he did Spider-Man, right? But he also uh, caught an Oscar nom for Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix. So he's an Oscar-nominated actor. So 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 everybody remember, like, Andrew Garfield is no kid, like, being, being Spider-Man. Like, he's, he's doing bigger things just in like more selective ways. Uh, Oscar Isaac, meanwhile, is doing really cool things uh, and, you know, also picking and choosing. Uh, But Mia Goth is on the come up big time as a formal scream queen. If you haven't watched X, if you haven't watched Pearl, we've reviewed both of those films. Uh, She's really great. Uh, We also took a look at her last feature, uh, Cronenberg, Infinity Pool, uh, which she was, you know, a little little over the top in, but ultimately really good. And, And Del Toro has a knack, I think, for casting really great leads in his movies, especially kind of like the thin, frail, screaming female lead or somebody <laughs> at least that's a bit more emotional, but not so physical, right? Think of like Mia Wasikowska in Crimson Peak in 2015 or Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water, uh, which he won an Oscar for in 2017. Like my man is pretty good at that. Like, And so if that's what Mia Goth is doing, like I don't know if he could have picked a better person right now like who's into really weird projects who really goes for it on screen like i i think she's an awesome pick maybe jenna ortega but like she might be busy doing wednesday yeah this is like i said this is a great cast great director it's got all the elements of a really great horror movie it i wouldn't trust this property in very many people's hands but this this is exciting yeah it really is uh more on that in the future like as it comes around uh we definitely want to watch what Cameron del toro is doing as well as uh you know everybody else in it including Mia Goth. Uh, with that being said, uh, the box office this week, when you talk about uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods is kind of catching heat for a poor opening. And on paper, it's not bad, right? At $30.5 million domestic is not a bad opening for a movie. What, why are people saying Shazam is is, is bombing? What, what's, what's happening here? Well, it opened way under the first one. The first one opened up to uh, over 50 million in the opening weekend. This one opened at 30 million. That's a huge decrease. And also is a very expensive film, probably $250 million when you include uh, marketing costs. So it's got to make a lot of money and it is not, it's not going to have, it's going to be a kind of a bomb here. And it just, uh, yeah, it underperformed and it underperformed even compared to things that came out during the pandemic. So 
uh, it's not looking good for uh, Shazam. Shazam. Hollywood Reporter says it great here. Shazam 2's Rotten Tomatoes critic score is a ho-hum 54%. Uh, meanwhile, the first film had a 90, which was pretty outstanding. Uh, they, they ran Rotten Tomatoes uh, logos on advertisements for it when it was in theaters. Hey, certified fresh, 90. Uh, this one, meanwhile, <laughs> does not have that luxury. People seem pretty split on it. And like we've talked about before, uh, when a movie approaches that like magical 50 on Rodden, it means critics are perfectly split. They either like it or they don't. Like 100% one way or the other. And and this movie's kind of getting there, right? It seems like somebody likes it. Uh, I actually haven't seen it yet. Andy has. Uh, I know we're going to review it next week, Andy, but like, it's just, I don't know, initial, initial impressions. Are you surprised by this news, having actually seen the movie? Not really. Uh, the trailer was didn't get me excited, didn't get me hyped. It, it just didn't get me excited about the character, the property, the story, any of that. Uh, it just it looked kind of bad, and uh, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought it was, and there are a lot of good things about it, but there's a lot of things that don't work uh, as well. So I'm, I'm not surprised that it's kind of not connecting with audiences. Yeah, come back next week for our full review, and you'll get more into it. But that being said, uh, this does also follow like Black Adam, and I, I do wonder like how that may have impacted <laughs> this one's path to success, because it's pretty different, and Shazam doesn't show up in Black Adam's marketing, and Black Adam doesn't show up in Shazam's marketing. But like they're definitely like the same suits, right? And they're the same kind of origin story. And, and when you really look at it, yeah, they're, they're they're from the same place in the comics. So like, I, I, do you, what do you think Black Adam did to this? I, I guess is what I'm asking. One of the things we know that I just learned recently is that uh, the Rock had you know his hand in 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 the DC cookie jar for quite quite a while. Um, he would not. He refused to appear in this movie. He only wants to appear in movies with like Superman with big characters. Didn't want to appear in Shazam two. Uh, he also didn't want want Shazam to show up in his movie because again he only wants top A list. Somehow we let Cyclone and Adam Smasher in his movie, but not Shazam. Uh, so that's definitely a hurting thing because Black Adam is like the titular nemesis of of Shazam, the the way Lex Luthor is for for Superman. And so you got your main nemesis, and he's not in any of the movies he should be in. Yeah, I, I think like in that way, Black Adam hurts this feature uh, because it would just be, it would have been so much cooler if Shazam 2 had been in all the ads he's fighting Dwayne Johnson Black Adam I would have been like okay like that's gonna be neat Black Adam just had a movie like it would have been so much tighter as like a kind of like pair of films that come together uh, but <laughs> it just didn't happen and from what we're hearing it's because Dwayne Johnson just could not bear the thought of showing up next to Billy Batson uh, or, or Zachary <laughs> Levi like I tremendous bag fumble all around, like huge, huge fumbling of the bag. Uh, I, any other thoughts on this, Andy? I know we should move on uh, to to scream. Soon. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's there's been some the director and some of the, some of the cast members have been really defensive of the film and the kind of reception and tomato score. But it's like, man, sometimes it's just bad, or sometimes you just make like something that's mediocre, and that's what it is. There's no and there's no excuses <laughs> before it. Yeah, and that's we'll talk about it more next week. <laughs> Tune in next week for a review of Shazam Two. Uh, <laughs> Maybe giving too much away. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. Uh, hey, I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I might come out real strong for it. I'm, I'm seeing it in just a couple of days. Uh, anyway. Uh, Tune in for that. With that, we need to get to Scream Six. We, we go. We've gone far too long on news. We got Oscar stuff to get to. All right, so Scream Six. Uh, here we go. I'm going to be taking the summary on this. Please excuse my clumsy delivery. Uh, the movie is uh, Scream Six. Guys. 
So Scream 6 is <laughs> the follow-up to Scream 5, which was a bit of a, a, a kind of a, a soft reboot of the Scream franchise. Uh, Scream originally had four films, starting with Wes Craven, uh, Scream 1, 2, and 3. Uh, and this comes from uh, former Scream directors and uh, directors of Ready or Not, uh, Horror Pair, Matt Bertinelli, Matt Bertinelli Open, and Tyler Gillette. Uh, these two uh, put together this movie. Uh, it stars our Carpenter sisters uh, from Scream 5, played by Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega, uh, as they travel to New York, all right, out of a small town into, into the big city, uh, when one fateful night uh, they get a, a call from Ghostface, and it's it's somebody who's playing Ghostface, and they got to figure out who it is and survive the night, uh, hopefully with their friends in tow, and a couple of Notable cameos from former uh, Scream stars Courtney Cox and Hayden Panettiere uh, to ultimately discover who this ghost is and put an end to their uh, ill-gotten means before everybody dies, right? It's Scream. Like, <laughs> and I told Andy before we got started, I said, God, I almost don't know how to summarize this because it's it's kind of too simple, but I want to give it air. Uh, <laughs> the movie is Scream 6. Andy, what'd you think? Man, well, I wanted to start off by saying we really liked Scream 5, like uh, a lot more than I thought it was going to be. It was a good revival uh, of the franchise. You got new characters. Uh, there were some good scares, some good kills. Uh, everyone got excited about it. Uh, this has been kind of a, a big letdown. There is just so... M it has a ton of problems. Uh, story, plot, characters, too many characters. Uh... Just lot, lots of issues that, that that we'll get into. I don't want. Well, I don't just want to rant on it just now. But uh, I was pretty disappointed, and I would I had been pretty excited for this to kind of see the, this in a new setting and kind of renewed interest in the Scream franchise. Um, but I, I was a little just disappointed. Uh, but it, it's done very well uh, financially. It's it's made about 130 million on a budget of 30 million dollars. So it, it's a huge hit. So we're definitely going to get. Five more of these movies. <laughs> don't Andy, don't sound so cynical. All right. Yeah. From, from what we've read, people seem to generally like this movie. Uh, it's got a certified fresh score of 77%. Audience score gave it a 92 on Rotten. All right. Every Reddit thread I've looked at, people like Scream 6. <laughs> every, every Twitter thread I've seen, people seem to like Scream 6. And I think maybe Andy and I were too... We were looking forward to something that's just a little bit not the shape of what this movie is. Um, Scream 5 had a really interesting task in front of it, right? Like coming off of Scream 4, which was Russ Craven's final film, uh, it had to find a new voice for the series uh, in a new director and a new creative lead. It had to uh, try to bring back, you know, the excitement of Ghostface, who's ultimately a pretty simple slasher. And you have to tackle like the new meta of horror movies like that's what scream one was all about it was about like making an anti-slasher kind of slasher movie that plays on the rules and has a character who talks on the phone about the rules of horror movies right and like that's difficult to do and like in a funny way scream five surprised us because it so finely threads that needle and comes out as like a clever answer to the question how do you reboot scream and it actually works really well, and it's got a pretty good cast, and the script's a little silly, but ultimately, like, it gets over some, some exciting moments. Scream 5's good. And Scream 6 is not that movie. Scream, <laughs> Scream 6 is much more traditional, like, 
Scream Slasher because it no longer has to tackle this question of like, how do you reboot the Scream series? It's just running in the direction that it thinks we'll like best. Um, and Andy and I got left out in the cold on this one. At least, at least I did. Like, it just did not go the way I thought it was going to go, which was a bummer. Um, and I think it, I think it hurts it really bad for me, uh, who's not traditionally a Scream fan. Yeah, where where should we kind of take off on on this? So let's start with our uh, setting. I think that's that that's okay. the best way to go, right? Because it's Scream in New York, baby. <laughs> New York, New York's just as much a character as everybody else. Like New York City is is the place where things are happening. And Jenna Ortega's character uh, is going to college, and Melissa Barrera's character, her older sister, has kind of come with her because she can't get over this trauma uh, that that you know, Ghostface is a thing that happened. And in in Scream Five, bit of a spoiler for Scream Five, an older movie. Uh, it had been her boyfriend all along, like, oh, my God. And then that was somebody really close to her. So she feels like she can't let people in. Meanwhile, the other friends from the movie have all moved in with them. Like the, the, this, this core four, they call themselves, have all just yeah, come they're over. they're all going to college from, together. That's right. They're all going to college together. Just tra- transpose them into this movie. Great. Um, and, and one night, uh, they, they get a call and it's, it's Ghostface. And there's a story on the news that a young woman's been brutally murdered in an alley and it's, it looks like it was, and there was a ghost face mask. Uh, and so our core four have to obviously, you know, follow, follow the procedure, go to the police, uh, file a report, uh, meet, meet an, meet an interesting FBI agent played by Hayden Panettiere from her character from screen four, run into Courtney Cox, uh, uh Gail Weathers, the reporter, uh, from the previous screen movies, um, and then like slowly start to try to eliminate who it might be a bit of a, a bit of a whodunit that all of the screen movies uh, like to embrace. Uh, and <laughs> I think for a plot, that's probably good enough to get you guys down the road, uh, without getting into spoiler territory. Um, it just is not like, I don't, I don't know. It, it felt too samey to me. It felt too normal to me and like i i it's exactly what you see in the trailers i didn't feel at all sub, like it didn't it didn't do anything clever <laughs> right and it, I, I don't know if you got it, that impression it was just kind of like bland to me yeah it, it's never scary at any point like that you're never scared for anyone um it's not thrilling you, you know they're, they're supposed to there's this kind of bit in the trailer where they're trying to crawl between apartments on the shaky ladder and it's um it's just when you get to that scene, it's just not thrilling. You like, like you don't care. You, there, there's, you're not invested in these characters enough. And part of the reason is that all of New York is in this movie. Like there, there's like 13 people on the poster for for this. And part of that is to like <laughs> keep you guessing on, on who's, who, you know, who's the big bad guy. Um, but it's just, it, it, there's too many people, and you, again, you don't really care about them. And the plot's just. The plot is all over the place. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Once, like the truths are are revealed and th- things, uh, the the lead up to them just it, is nonsensical. It, it and it's like they they kind of thought of some interesting uh, scenarios or some things that might be fun or scary, and then just like tried to put them together. And it doesn't really work. There's this whole thing about like a, a ghost face shrine, which we've seen in the trailer, um, and it's just. It's so bizarre. Like the first one, or the the fifth, the previous one, the fifth Scream Five felt a little more more grounded at least because it was like you know in a town and uh, you know people were getting killed in normal places. But this it, is just all over the place, and it's starting it's starting to feel a little bit like Star Wars, where 
it's like oh it's leaning heavily on the nostalgia and and the the recognition yeah. of older versions uh, of yeah. the series because people are like oh this from i remember that from scream too or i remember that from the original scream yeah, I, that's something I heard a lot, like from Scream fans, that like this movie does do a lot of clever nods to like Scream Two. Uh, structurally, there's a lot of like, I, I, something to do with like the I, like the number of kills and and a couple of the kills are like directly referencing Scream Two, and and there's like there's there's certain plot elements that I didn't notice like in the theater that apparently have really jumped out to scream fans. And so that's worth mentioning. If you're a scream fan, like maybe you get more out of this than we did, but like it also, I think has suffers the same problem as scream Two structurally. And that it just feels like a generic slasher movie, like in an effort to try to be meta scream Two overstepped the line, like, and kind of fell back on itself. Uh, but this movie, like, goes the opposite way it takes what scream five did and shakes off all of that trappings of hmm, how do we how do we start over scream with an entirely new cast of characters which was genuinely you know pretty interesting in the first one and just says nope we're locking down every single little thing that kind of worked and we're running straight forward with it and it's going to be cool because you're going to like that your favorites are here and that obviously like does not work great with the lack of somebody like sydney prescott right and f campbell uh, who has not come back for this movie because she said the pay sucked. Good for her. Um, but I think like that was probably the better choice structurally. Like I, I don't need to see old scream characters anymore. And I, I don't need to see scream characters telling me about things that happen in other scream movies. It feels so procedural. And this movie like has that is, is, is that to a T like it's, it's just everything you think would happen naturally is what happens. Oh, we, we got a call from the killer. We better go to the police. Some, for some reason, the police can't help us. Great. Well, we better head back to the apartment. Oh no, something's happening at the apartment. Like, well, well we better do this. Dude. Like it's just, it just it turns into this like paint by numbers schlock that I feel like would have had like Wes Craven rolling it over in his freaking grave. Like, and, and I, maybe it's a misread, right? Like, I, I'm not the most diehard Scream franchise, like, lover, but this this one just felt like a, a misstep, and it's surprising to see so many people say it's not, that it's really something else. I feel like I'm maybe I'm missing the mark. Right. One of the things that made the original Scream so special is that you really didn't know who was going to die at any point because, you know, the big thing, they kill off drew Barrymore in the opening scene and she's like on the poster. She's a big part of the marketing. Like people had no idea, you know, we thought she, you, you know, you even thought maybe she's going to be the final girl. Um, right, she'll come back and she's, yeah. And then other people sometimes like kind of randomly almost get killed in that movie. And in this, you got your main characters and there's so, so much plot armor. There's so many stabbings that happen in this. So many people get stabbed multiple <laughs> times and it's like, they just shrug it off. It's like, ow, oh man, that sucks. And it's like, they're fine the next scene. And, and it was like, you know, uh, Mason Gooding's character, uh, he, he plays, oh, I can't remember his name. Chad uh, Beeks. Chad. Yeah, Chad. Uh, of course, he he gets, you know, in Scream 5, he gets stabbed up a bunch, doesn't die. And it was like, you would be probably disabled or like, chronically in pain or ill yeah, your you whole would, life you would never walk after again. yeah and you'd have an opioid addiction <laughs> yeah and he he's fine in this movie and then again lots of stabbings and uh everyone just kind of shrugs it off and there's way too many people in this and it's it's not clever it's not interesting it's just kind of 
you know, it, it, it like checks the get your beam bingo card and play scream, b- scream, <laughs> scream bow and just try to fill out. <laughs> oh, there's Ghostface. Oh, he stabbed someone. And it's just. And the other the other thing, uh, the settings, we talked about that. It's in New York. It could be anywhere. There's nothing New York about this yeah. other than the, outside of the yes. subway. There's nothing like the, it. It could have taken place in Dallas on the light rail. Like there's nothing significant. <laughs> but they don't go to any like landmarks. They're not in Central Park. They're not. They don't. You know, have a chase at the Empire State Building or, or anything like that. Nothing that makes you know setting it in in New York anything special. Yeah, th- those are two like really big places this movie misses. Like number one, uh, it is a terrible New York film. It is not at all good at representing New York. The whole thing was shot in Canada, like which is fine, but like you can't put New York on the poster and do the I Heart NY stuff and like really step on Ghostface in the city and then it'd be a terrible New York movie. Like just a tremendous miss. But more importantly, like and I think one of the things that really hurts this movie, I I personally the kills are lame. Like a lot of the kills are lame in Scream Six. Like they're 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 graphic, sure. And there are a couple sequences, uh, uh one infamously in one of the teasers where Ghostface has a shotgun in a convenience store. That in like one other bit are like pretty good, but otherwise a lot of them are really inconsequential. I, I was trying to count and think how many uh kills are in this movie. And there's actually I went back and looked, there there it, there's usually more than the other Scream movies. It's high on the list. I don't think it has the most. But There's it's like lots right of stabs, to but just but, not finishing the job. Yeah, and then additionally, a lot of those kills are totally inconsequential to the plot. It, it's like if Ghostface hopped in a, a Hummer and ran down eight people in the opening minutes, and then it was like, all right, now here's the rest of the movie. Like, yeah, it gets over because, of the, you know, it, it's a big number, but they're, they're, they don't affect the plot enough to matter, and it just leaves you feeling kind of tasteless, like, to, to, to me, a tasteless experience. Yeah, like you said, the no one no one knew who was gonna die in the first one. Maybe they do that in the second. I don't remember like two and three, um, but it, there seems like to be a whole lot of plot armor, and, and yeah, n- nothing's really super consequential. No one that you really know. And again, there's there's too many there's way too many people in this movie. Oh my gosh! Um, and again, that's part to to throw you off, but you just you don't care about any of these characters. You're not really scared, and then sometimes you're just in scenarios. Out of nowhere, um, like Ghostface just kind of conveniently pops up, and it's a, a lot of times you're like, "Well, how did he get there? And how did he know where they would be?" Like, th- there's a whole lot of that. You know, I thought this was yes. going to be like Ghostface terrorizing New York, like, like the Carpenter sisters weren't going to be the main, you know, whatever uh, sure. targets here. But, but of course, it, it seems to always be about them, at, at least the, this franchise and. Yeah, it's just kind of all over the place. I'm tr- I'm trying my best not to spoil <laughs> spoil it. I, I know, I, I know. Like it's 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 a funny thing. Like ultimately, I I think there are things in Scream Six that work, right? Like there are a few cool set pieces. Uh, Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega are both great. I I told Andy after we watched this, I'm like, God, the the greatest thing the Scream producers did is not kill off Jenna Ortega's character in Scream Five before she blew up because now she's she's in X and she's in Wednesday and people love her. She's 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 the greatest pick uh, for for this series. Like they should hang on to her for as long as they can. Um, like it's you know there's a couple decent kills like it's it's not that bad. I think if you're a scream fan, you'll probably be much warmer on it than we are. But like we just I don't know, man. I really thought this movie was gonna be just a bit more clever than it was, and I was surprised at how 
unclever it intentionally is with the guise of oh we're being we're being cute and we're being funny about the scream franchise and it's just a total like total miss in my yeah any thoughts recommendations i don't know (laughs) well it it reminds me of things like if you're a fan of like all six or seven freddy krueger movies or all the jason movies or all the hellraiser movies it's like yeah if you're if you're that kind of devoted fan to the property you're probably gonna enjoy it but if you're not it's gonna be it's kind of it's kind of tough it just it's in it's incoherent so much of it yeah Uh, any other thoughts for recommendations i think i'm ready andy would you recommend scream six i would say hard pass uh unless you're a big scream fan if you've you know you've seen all of them you watch them multiple times. You, you want to see how the story keeps going. Uh, you're probably interested in it, but if you're not, it, it's not scary. It's not uh, thrilling. It's not interesting. Uh, it seems like everyone's got plot armor. Uh, a, lot, a lot of it's kind of predictable um, or just so kind of crazily twisted that it doesn't make any sense at the same time. Uh, someone <laughs> described this as Scooby-Doo, <laughs> which really made me laugh. Uh, but I would say uh, pass. <laughs> yeah, same pass. You, Andy's totally right. You do get the like the the, the mystery gang like from Scooby Doo kind of feeling, especially with this like core four they've kind of got built up here. But like clever homages and like cutesy runarounds for actual slashers is is not a good movie makes. Like it just does not add up to more than the sum of its parts. It's really simple. Uh, I I do not think this movie, uh, despite I forget who said it. Uh, one of these reviewers said it's a total scream. It's not. It's <laughs> it's, it's a total swing and a not miss. Not at all. Uh, scream six. It's fine. That's my answer. And, and hey, if you're a scream fan and and we totally missed the mark on this, like please write in uh, mail at oscarfilmreview.com. Comment on this video wherever you see it. Whatever. Write a review on iTunes. Just throw five stars on it and let us know like <laughs> if this movie is totally better and we missed the mark. Because like I really just I don't know. I feel like I've I've become embittered in my cold opinion like on this movie uh, by everybody else's uh ice cold reviews so i i I don't know i I don't know i don't know i don't know about scream six but what i do know about is uh the death of cinema which we need to talk about (laughs) this week we're doing a bit of a half and half all right like normally like older listeners of the show will know we either do the death of cinema in the middle of things or we do the trailer park we're talking about trailer stuff but this week we're doing a little both because we only have one trailer (laughs) and we have kind of a small story and we thought why not you know we'll 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 change it up so andy you want to tell people what we're getting into here Yes, uh, so it's time for the death of cinema. And uh, we're talking about this story out of the Hollywood Reporter. Creed 3 delivers first knockout punch in the theatrical ring. Um, So Creed 3 did very well. It's made over $200 million globally now. And it's kind of cementing the, this strategy from Amazon uh, who bought MGM and owns the rights th- that they're going to play both sides of the streaming and theatrical kind of debate there. Cause Amazon prime that service exists. And then uh, they're going to be releasing things there, but then also taking theatrical uh, doing theatrical fe- features when it kind of makes sense. And so they're, they're committing to both and th- that's a good thing for the theaters. Uh, for instance, the Nike movie Air, which comes out in a, in a couple months, is also getting a theatrical release, and that was originally just going to go straight to Prime. 
Zach, for more. I guess that's where I should jump in. <laughs> <laughs> you were on a roll. I just, I just, I'm sorry. I was listening to your flow. No, uh, Amazon is making some big moves in theatrical space. And it's not like unheard of in the industry. Like it might sound a little weird that like the company who's, you know, shipping cardboard boxes all over the world and flying William Shatner to the moon is like getting into making their own movies. Like they obviously do Amazon Studios where they produce things for Prime Video directly, shows like The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and, uh, I don't, I don't know, Jack, Jack Ryan. Uh, but they're also getting into making movies. They bought MGM about a year ago and they are looking to, you know, make some big moves. MGM is, of course, mostly known for the James Bond franchise, but it's also worth mentioning they have Rocky, right? Creed, which is a big deal, especially now that Michael B. Jordan's at the helm and they're making more money now than ever before. It reminds me of when Disney had Touchstone Pictures in like the 90s, right? And they were producing things like Pulp Fiction. You would never know that is coming from the House of Mouse. It was. That was just the way they were doing it. And while it is a little weird in theaters to feel like you don't know exactly uh, where your meat is coming from, uh, one thing's for sure, as long as they're making good content, nobody cares. And Creed 3 is good content. Air remains to be seen. I know I, <laughs> I don't mean to be skeptical about that movie, but like, it just looks fine. It just looks like a Dude, fine I, movie. I literally saw that described as like the dad movie to replace your dad movie. And yeah, it's like, to, to replace Ford v. Ferrari. Yeah, the new Father of the Year movie. You're just like, oh, Which I God. don't feel is a dad movie. I don't feel like that's a dad movie, personally. That's, that's really I don't, a movie. I don't either. And, and I, don't think like ben, I don't think Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's new feature is a dad movie either. But, you know, I, I guess they can call it what they want. Why are you aiming for... Anyway, um, what, what are they doing, I guess, Andy? What's, what's next? Uh, more Creed stuff. I know they want to try to build a Creed-verse. I think I read that right, somewhere. The, and James the Bond, Creed-verse... Right? The Creed versus is the other kind of exciting part part of the story is that uh, because of the six, huge success of Creed three and all of the Creed films have been successful, they're going to uh, start the Creed verse and there's going to be maybe a TV show or two, some more movies. It's good. we'll we'll see. Uh, the interesting part, uh, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, absent probably from all of this, um, you know, left left back in Philly to, to not. Uh, it, it's some nasty stuff behind the, the scenes. Uh, the the owners of the Rocky Fran and Creed franchise don't want anything to do with Stallone. They essentially pushed out of this third film. Uh, well, but we'll we'll kind of see how that goes. Uh, I think Amazon's like in a fine space, like to make stuff. Uh, I'm really curious to see. I know that I know they have other properties in Bond, okay, but like childishly, selfishly, I just want I just want to know where Bond's going. I want to know who the next Bond is. I want to know who the next Bond director is. Are they going to promote Michael B. Jordan to studio head like Zack Snyder or James Gunn? Yeah. <laughs> are they just going to lean all the way in and be like, "You're you're the guy," you know? Are they are they picking like a, a stellar direction? Like one thing's for sure, I think they may need some kind of creative corral to wrangle people under and for disney and marvel that's kevin feige and for uh universal it's i don't know universal's getting their directors together jordan peele christopher nolan the daniels um but for amazon like they're gonna have to start to try to find a creative structure and i don't know where that's headed but it's an exciting time to keep an eye on them now because you know you never know there's a lot of money there that's for sure god you got a lot of money yeah, and the th and the theaters are happy that uh, they're getting support from a streamer uh, for once, and like as opposed to Netflix, who kind of refuses to have anything in theaters. Yeah, <laughs> which is a bummer. God, Knives Out played or Glass Onion played so great in a theater for the two weeks it was in like six hundred theaters in the United States. 
Um, really wish I could have made it to the big screen, but Netflix very clearly wants you on their stuff. Amazon, not so much. You can go where you want, um, which I guess is not a bad thing. And speaking of go where we want, we should probably talk about this next this trailer, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this, Andy? No, I'm ready. I'm ready. Time for the trailer park. <laughs> Abbreviated. <laughs> Perfect. It's just briefly abbreviated. Yes. Uh, so we're talking about the trailer for The Little Mermaid. I don't know if uh, one of us is supposed to be talking about that. I don't think on the outline either of us were on it. So I'll just I'll just jump on it. Uh, Disney's new live action offering, uh, The Little Mermaid, star- starring Halle Bailey, is officially coming to theaters. Uh, we have a big final trailer for it. Lots of bright colors, or at least the best they could do. Uh, and more casting information. Javier Bardem is King Triton. Uh, oh, God, Melissa McCarthy is Ursula. I don't know the kid that plays Eric. It's some exciting nobody. Uh, and and I think like <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda is the voice of the crab or something. Uh, you know, what, what, what do you think, Andy? So we hadn't seen anything. I was not real impressed with the first couple of trailers. Um this definitely got me a lot more excited about the the property. There's a big kind of ship going down scene that that that's from. I mean, it's basically shot from shot from the 1989 version. Um, but it, they're definitely putting in a lot of money in the effects, and some of it looks really good. It sounds really good, like the, the music. The the Halle Bailey's got an amazing voice. Uh, the songs might might save this feature, but it kind of looks vi- just visually kind of terrible. The the underwater effects just they look so bad, especially after Avatar: The Way of Water just came came out. That that's probably going to be the high point of underwater effects. Um, they don't look like they're underwater half half the time. Uh, so the underwater stuff does look good. Uh, there are a ton of effects. We get realistic. Uh, Sebastian and. The fish friend, <laughs> um, flounder, but, right? Flounder, thank you. Uh, but they yeah. kind of—it's kind of like Uncanny Valley, where it, it's like Lion King, where it's like a little too realistic. Um, so we'll we'll see. I I think the music is go- is going to save it. Uh, otherwise, it, it kind it doesn't look great visually. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of my favorite like early calls on uh, off script. They don't happen often, but I, I gotta celebrate them when they do. Is when like the very first teaser for this came out. I was like, it looks way too dark, and like Disney's had this problem lately. Uh, a lot of their live actions are just like really poor lighting because they're probably in a green like on a green screen set, and you don't really know how to light the scene they're gonna be in. So they kind of just light it soft. Like okay, just hit them with you know big soft lights. And we'll figure it out in post. And like you end up with movies that look really dark for color correction because you're trying to like hide details and imperfections that wouldn't otherwise be in these scenes. And like this was most brutally seen, I think, in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. Like, God, that movie looked bad. Like, it doesn't look like anybody knows where they are. Everybody's on set. You're on screen seven. Like, yeah, right. Look at act surprised, act scared. You know, like whatever. Like just clunky uh and and this unfortunately like has the even deeper task of not only taking us to another world uh but one that's entirely underwater uh dc did this with aquaman i never actually saw aquaman i think andy said they was pretty good at what they did and i think this is kind of the same angle you kind of just shoot it like like you would if they're in air and then you just kind of animate the hair to look like you're underwater and that's really the move Right. Well, in in Aquaman, they they did a lot of like creating bubbles and stuff, like creating air pockets to talk in that they would walk into. 
um, so they wouldn't have to deal with that. So they would, you know, be swimming in the ocean and then all of a sudden walk into an air pocket and everyone's wet, but at least they're not like floating in water and then you don't have to animate uh, floating hair not and, a bad and idea. stuff like that. So, yeah, the, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think it's going to be a hit, honestly, because of the yeah. nostalgia and, and the music like that. I think that's going to be great. If this yeah. did not have that going on, I think it would bomb. Right, like it's it's becoming really apparent that like Disney's smaller live action offerings do not even hold a candle to the big ones. Right, think of like for for every like Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin or Little Mermaid that came out, there was a live action Lady and the Tramp that premiered with Disney Plus that nobody ever watched. Uh, Robert Zemeckis's Pinocchio, awful, like came out last year uh, and and just did not get like nobody nobody even noticed that movie came out um a lot of times when people ask me what are you watching for the show this week uh i'll tell them it'll be some disney live action feature and they're like really that's out <laughs> like yeah yeah went yeah, straight to disney plus everyone. like they're they're barreling forward with what they think will work and won't work and they're too committed to this style to change uh and apparently they've worked out the numbers where uh, this may not look good on screen, but it looks great like in their checkbook. And that's great, right? That's fantastic for the house of mouse. But like, I don't know, man, I was hoping for something a little bolder at David Lowry's uh, Peter Pan and Wendy, which we talked about last week on the show. Uh, same kind of deal. Like I was like David Lowry, director of the green Knight. Like, okay, we might be going somewhere new and like straight to Disney plus doesn't seem like they've got any confidence in it at all. Like just, just another a snoozer of a Disney live action. Disappointing from the house of mouse. In my opinion, any other thoughts on this, Andy? Uh, we'll just wait and see how how it does and how it's received. Um, I think it's probably gonna get over the hump. I think it's gonna be successful because, of the, like I said, the music, the singing, the nostalgia. Uh, but a lot of it is kind of looks kind of questionable. Yeah, it really does. Uh, we'll probably end up watching it for the show. <laughs> Keep it here on off script for more. With that, we have much bigger fish to. F- oh no, no, that turned out to be a pond, and I stumbled over it. Much bigger things to talk about, all right? Bigger bigger than Little Mermaid, bigger than Scream 6. It's, uh, well, Andy, you want to tell people what it is? 2023 Oscars. Perfect. Would have been easier, easier to say Oscars 2023, but here we are. Um, <laughs> Whatever. Oscars, yeah, I never know how to write it. The, the Oscars happened a little over a week ago on uh, March 12th or whatever it was. In the, the Dolby Theater, big night, Hollywood's biggest night, the glitz and glamour of the awards, the winners, the losers. We're here to talk about all of them. The big winner overall, I think seven awards won, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Big su- surprise and not surprise at, this, at the same time. Um, it, it, this movie had a, a ton of buzz and a lot of momentum going in, but you never know. Uh, a lot of times there's upsets. A lot of times there's head-scratching decisions. And that kind of wasn't the way uh, for most of this. But there were some snubs as well. There were some people that walked away empty-handed, some franchises that walked away empty-handed. We're going to get into all that. Zach, how should we start? Uh, I think we should talk. start with talking about uh, 2023 is a year in film because uh, Andy and I watched a lot of movies for this podcast. And, and uh, one of the things I think, well, 2022 really is what the Oscars are covering. But one of the things I think really that was so interesting about being at the movies last year was how many great features were coming out uh coming out of the pandemic right everything slowed down in hollywood and people were starting to get tired of the same old same old marvel had just wrapped up 
uh, with Endgame. Like everything felt like it was reaching this like, I don't know, we, we were stepping into something new and then COVID happened and that shut down Hollywood and everybody stopped for two years and had to pivot and figure out what they were doing next. In that time, a lot of creative scripts came out, right? And a lot of creative people had to, had to sit on ideas and, and, and kind of stew on what they could do. And I think it made for like a really, really great, 2022 at the movies like a lot of really great features i remember 2020 at the oscars was like so so lame <laughs> and and and, yeah. and and every year it seems like the picks were fine but they weren't that great but like this year there were some really really stellar standouts um and it, as much as i can't believe like the number of, of awards that went to the big winner like i also cannot believe the number of snubs like this, the snub sheet reads like a rap sheet of like some of the best talent in the business right now. It's crazy. I I, uh, I was I was happy for most of the snubs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me too. <laughs> because, and me too, because on us script, you know, right. But uh, a lot of people don't. All right, and that's why we're here to help them figure it out. And, and so we need to talk about what went down. Now, Andy and I have done a lot of Oscar episodes. All right, but there's one thing we know for sure is that it's perfect every time. It never goes wrong. Uh, so we're going to move through these efficiently. <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk too long like I have with this intro. Uh, and, and we're just going to jump into it. Where, where, where did we start, Andy? We start at the bottom of the list and work our way up. Start at best picture and work our way down. Give the let's, people what they let's want. Let's start at, start at best picture and, and work through those. Uh, the big winner, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, Daniel Kwan, Daniel Shiner, otherwise known as Daniels. One, uh, everyone thought this movie was going to win. It had tons of, of momentum behind it, but you never know. And, it, and it's a long road to the Oscars. You know, these movies campaign for months and it, it changes seemingly every week where it's like, well, this movie's favored. No, that movie's favored. Um, just a reminder, the uh, other nominees, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. So a huge slate of films. Um, some very recognizable directors and brand new directors uh, won this best picture. I feel like the one I really thought might scoop this from everything everywhere was going to be maybe the Banshees of Inishirin. Like a lot of great talent in here, including a, a Steven Spielberg picture, an incredible new feature from Todd Field uh, with Tar, Top Gun Maverick. I think a lot of people thought should win because that's the big, you know, bold American one. That's the great. Savior um, of cinema. I, yeah, but like Banshees was subtle. Right, it is a dark comedy, and it's thoughtful, and it's got a lot of subtext. It really expects the the, the, the viewer to kind of lean in to kind of get where it's coming from. And a lot of people thought that was going to have like a big showing this year, especially considering the number of nominations it had. But I was really pleased to see Everything Everywhere scoop Best Picture for Best Director. Also, Everything Everywhere All at Once for Daniel Kwan and Daniel Skynard, uh, which is crazy. Shinerd, I think, is what it is. Uh, the other contenders were Banshees of Inishirin, Martin McDonough, The Fableman, Spielberg, Tar, Todd Field, Newcomer, and Triangle of Sadness, Ruben Osland, who's put out quite a few uh, foreign features that we've really enjoyed, uh, but did not quite get over the hump. What do you think, Andy? I, I I love that they won this. Definitely very deserving. But this is the thing that I thought Spielberg would actually win. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, because a lot of times, the, how could he not? Yeah, he's, he's Spielberg, and the the Oscars a lot of times is about rewarding a career and rewarding you know it's almost like a lifetime achievement kind of thing. And uh, this is the one where I thought they they would give give it to Spielberg because he's Spielberg and he has such such a legacy and he's meant so much to the industry. But the Fablemans has just not been uh, 
just well received. It hasn't been a, a film that, that audiences just love and take. It, it's not like kind of coda the way that was last year. Like it's kind of a, a heartwarming story. Uh, people just didn't get behind the film, and I think that's why he didn't win it. The Fumblemans. I agree. Like it just doesn't <laughs> there seem we like go. anybody really went for it. The fumble the bag. Uh, <laughs> McDonough also like I think people thought Banshee's been a share might scoop it. Uh, but you know, he won for uh, got three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri just a few years ago. I'm glad to see Daniels taking it. Uh, who who won Best Actor? This went to Brendan Fraser for The Whale. It was between him and Austin Butler for Elvis. Um, those were the two contenders. Other nominees were Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inisherin, Bill Nye for Living, and Paul Mescal for In uh, After Sun. Uh, I w- I really wanted Austin Butler to win this, um, but a lot of what the Oscars are about is legacy. And Brendan Fraser has this great comeback story. You know, he he started his career in the '90s, became a big star, and then was kind of a uh, persona non grata for like. 10, 15 years is having this great comeback. And so a lot of times, whoever has the best narrative wins, and he's got a great narrative. And Austin, Austin Butler is just too new and too young. This is really the first film anyone knows him from. And, you know, give him a few more years, another 10 years, a few more roles. He'll he'll win one as well. But, again, it's about rewarding a career, rewarding legacy, and I think that's why Brendan Fraser won. Yeah, I think, uh, first off, Fraser is great in The Whale. We, we watched it. He's really tremendous in it. Um, but Butler is just such a, a bolt of lightning in Best in, in Elvis. And additionally, I think Colin Farrell thought Banshee's Vinish Sheeran uh, might get one as well here because he's really wonderful. As he was in the running uh, for but, a while too, yeah. Yeah, uh, um, but like uh, Andy's right. Like, it, it, I think if this year more than anything, it's worth noting that, yeah, there may be a bit of a legacy thing going on at the Academy Awards. Uh, there's always more time for the young up and coming star who just caught a nomination off his first big feature to get, to grab another one. Right. But for somebody who's been gone a while and is just maybe coming around, uh, and is kind of getting their big moment in the sun, uh, somebody who's put in years of work, I think it's a lot easier to give them the award because they may not have more time to get it again. This might be the last chance. And, uh, that doesn't necessarily extend to best actress in the leading role. Of course, with Michelle Yeoh winning for everything ever all at once. Uh, Michelle's a bombshell talent always has been, but I think understated because a lot of her work has been either in foreign cinema or it's been in things like action features, right? That maybe she doesn't get so much attention in, uh, but it's really cool to see her like really come out of her shell in everything everywhere and be such a multifaceted character like Evelyn Wang is. Uh other nominees were Kate Blanchett and Tar, which I man, I really thought she might get it. I really thought Kate Blanchett. Me too, might me get too. It, Tar. it might it might be her best performance of her career. Uh tremendous if you haven't seen it. Anna de Armas and Blonde, a show favorite. Uh Andrea Riseborough into Leslie and Michelle Williamson, the Fablemans. All winners in our hearts, of course. But if only one could take it, it's Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, I, uh, again, I thought I thought Kate Blanchett might might take this. Um, again, people are calling, um, you know, her performances Lydia Tarr performance of the decade. Like you said, best performance of of her career. It is a it is a great role. I th- but I think it's also a movie that a lot of people just didn't get behind. Um, Tar's a challenging work. It's two hours forty minutes. Um, it's it's a good movie. It's complex. Um, and she definitely could have easily won and you wouldn't have been uh, upset, but it, it's great to see Michelle Yeoh win. And again, this is part of the momentum of the evening, like, because uh, everywhere, everything everywhere won, won a few other awards leading up to this. And so it kind of gets that momentum going. And it's great to see 
uh, Michelle Yeoh win this. Only the second woman of color to win this in the 95 years of the Oscars, which is kind of a depressing statistic, but it's a step in the right direction. And and Huge Halle Berry, who, Halle Berry, who actually was the first person to win, uh, first person of color to win, actually handed her the award. So they knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they definitely knew what they were doing, uh, especially considering who handed Best Actor uh, their award, which you should read because I just did Best Actress, right? Uh, the winner, the winner, no surprise here in Best Supporting uh, Actor was Ki Hoi Kwan, uh, who played Waymond in uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I, again, this was a night all for this movie. Other nominees were Brendan Gleeson uh, for the, the Banshees of Inishirin, Brian Tyree Henry and Cosway, Judd Hirsch for the Fablemans and Barry Keoghan, which I finally know, know how to say his name in the Banshees wow. of Inishirin. There's a G in there. Oh, only huh? Keoghan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but right. uh, Kihoi Kwan, again, he's great in the movie, but he also has this incredible, incredible comeback story of, you know, him and his family fled Vietnam were lived in a refugee camp, moved to LA in the, in the late seventies. He shows up to, to this audition and just kind of, uh, he didn't even know who Spielberg and and Harrison Ford were because their family couldn't afford to go to the movies. He ends up showing up to this audition, having a lot of early success in the, in the 80s in kind of t- kid and teen roles, and then really struggled for the next 20 years or so to get any r- acting work. Um, and then he, he gets this role, and it's this great comeback story. And so it was really great to see him win. Uh, did, I didn't see who handed him an award. Was it Harrison Ford? Oh, God, dude. Harrison Ford hands him the award. He gets up the... Well, hold on. I take it back. Harrison Ford didn't hand him this award. Harrison Ford handed him the award during uh, Best Picture, I think. Harrison Ford presented Ah. that. He gets up, hugs him, right? Goes for the hug, and the camera immediately cuts to Spielberg. It was so perfect. I couldn't believe how well directed. It was so perfect. Nice. Oh, my God. Cuts back to two of them hugging. Oh, man. Anyway, yes. Uh, Big win for Kaekwon. Uh, it's a bit of a legacy thing, right? Like, and, and I think that's the fan Part favorite. Everybody wanted him to win. Like everybody did. Uh, there were some tremendous performances aside. Uh, Brendan Gleeson's Colm is like really understated. Barry Keoghan's Keoghan. I'm going to have to get that right. Is always a delight. Um, but I mean, he like far and away, I think was the fan favorite. Everybody wanted short round to win an Oscar and like, we've done it folks. And it's cause he's good by the way. Like not just cause not just cause he played short round. If you haven't seen it, there's a reason everything ever is winning all, winning all these awards, including Best Actress in Supporting Role going, interestingly, to Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Ever All at Once. And this is interesting because she was also nominated alongside her co-star, Stephanie Hsu, in Everything Ever All at Once. Both of them nominated two actresses, one movie, one category, and often that can split the vote. And for what it's worth, I think Andy and I both thought Stephanie Hsu was going to walk away with this one. She plays Jobu Tupaki, the big bad in Everything Ever All at Once. Jamie Lee Curtis is... Great is Deidre Bobidra, and she's got some some emotion in the third act, but it just felt like Stephanie Hsu was such a such a bolt of lightning in this movie. Uh, other nominees were Carrie Condon and Banshees of Inisherin, who I think was a big fan favorite. A lot of people thought she was going to walk away with it. Hong Chao and the Whale, likely the best performance in the Whale, even though Brendan Fraser caught Best Actor uh, this year for it. And heartbreakingly, Angela Bassett and Black Panther were kind of forever, who's super good, but like, man, she's put in a lot of great performances and it would have been actually really cool to see her walk away with it. What do you think, Andy? So Angela Bassett was kind of the front runner for this. A lot of people thought she was going to take it. 
Um, she hasn't been nominated in, in almost 30 years. Uh, she was last nominated for uh, What's Love Got to Do With It, the Tina Turner biopic from the 90s. Hasn't had a nomination since. Uh, but the Academy kind of doesn't like Marvel uh, to win the, <laughs> these things. Uh, they haven't been very warm on comic book movies, and uh, no one's won an, an acting Oscar for a Marvel movie yet. And so I think that was kind of working against it. And she's great in that movie. Um, but I, I just don't think the Academy got behind her. I was a little surprised to see that Jamie Lee, uh, Curtis won again, another kind of legacy story. She's a darling of the industry. She's been working in it for 40 years. She's Laurie Strode. Uh, you know, she, she's in the original Halloween. Yeah. She's been an advocate for the business for film. She's been campaigning hard for this movie. Uh, and again, a little bit like Austin Butler, Stephanie Shu will have lots of opportunity to to win an, an Oscar. But uh, so I wasn't surprised that Jamie Lee Curtis won it. Yeah, in that sense. Me neither. Uh, what do you want uh, to pick from here? Now, that, yeah, we break into the interesting <laughs> ones. Um, what, what we, so best costume. I was a little surprised by this. Um, it went to Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. And other other nominees, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Elvis, Babylon, Miss Harris Goes to Paris. I thought every other movie besides Black Panther kind of deserved this. Like the costumes in Elvis Come on are now. incredible. Come on now. It in, in in Babylon. Like I, I this is them throwing Marvel a bone, is that's how I felt about this. <laughs> okay, okay, hold on. Uh, I can speak to this. I actually watched Black Panther Wakanda Forever uh, the Saturday before the Oscars aired on Sunday, the day before. We, we, Christine and I, we watched it. She'd never seen it. For what it's worth, Angela Bassett's great. The costuming really is stunning, man. There's a lot of outfits in that movie where all of it looks like it fell right out of like a fashion designer magazine. Like just the best stuff, right? Like really unique patterns on fabrics. They're like going up into wild colors and not just on like the Wakanda side. They go to Haiti. They go to Mexico. They, they, they go to Namor's like underwater thing. They got all of that. Like they've got the multiple tribes uh, out in Wakanda, like of, of the different kind of areas of the kingdom who all have their own people. Like it is it is pretty stunning costuming. Like I I, I it, it is in a Marvel movie, and I think that feels a little hokey. But like it's also a Ryan Coogler film. All right, it's also a very heartfelt tribute to. Uh, 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 oh my God, not Ryan Coogler, Chadwick Boseman, and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I get it. At the same time, it does look a little odd on the list. Like it really does stand out as like really Black Panther Wakanda forever. But like I'm telling you, the costumes are pretty dope. Like they they really are. Um, okay. I do want to talk about best original score. Uh, <laughs> I could, yeah, I could skip over best sound, which I probably shouldn't, which went to Top Gun Maverick. It's only award of the night, but I, it's great sound yeah. in that movie. I'm not a sound guy, but best original score goes to all quiet on the restroom front, which is very earth rattling. One of the other big winners <laughs> of, uh, one of the other yes. big winners of the night as I was going to say. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all quiet on the Western front goes on to win a handful here. We haven't gotten to them yet, but just wait. Uh, in, uh, other nominees included the Banshees of Inisherin, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, John Williams, big score, uh, and the one that really felt like the brutal snub, is Babylon. God, how do you not give an Oscar to Babylon? That score is so good, man. One of the few I've gone back and listened to since seeing the film. The Babylon score is excellent. Go check out Voodoo Mama. It's on Spotify. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Andy, what do you think? No, I, I was really disappointed with this, or surprised by it as well. I thought Babylon was the best score, and also the score to Everything Everywhere All at Once uh, I thought was phenomenal. 
Um, All Quiet on the Western Front, it has this really kind of haunting theme. This like, bam, bam, bam. And it just like plays over and over through. But that's all it does. It's not really that memorable outside of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas Babylon's this whole like three hour jazz giant jazz number, like that's great soundtrack. I listen to that all all the time. Same thing with uh, everything everywhere. But I, again, really surprised that it won. But it it, ha- it kind of had momentum. Yeah, and I think All Quiet played big on screen. Like that's the thing. It, it you got these you know young boys walking through the field and they're like we're going to war, and then you hear this like horrifying electronic like roar of like like. Hey, don't get me wrong, it's effective in the movie, but like, eh. <laughs> not maybe not who I would have voted for, like first choice, like, but but solid all the same. Um, do we need to talk about why sequels are getting best adapted screenplay nominations now? Was that always a thing? Yeah. I I don't remember if it always was, but apparently a sequel is considered an adapted screenplay, not an original screenplay, because the characters already exist in another movie or another. It's based off a previous movie. Which is kind of, kind of weird, uh, but anyways, that it that is what it is, and that really just well that affected two of the nominees, Glass Onion, and uh, Top Gun Maverick are both not considered original screenplays. Uh, but it went this Oscar went to Women Talking, um, to Sarah Polly, uh, for that screenplay. That's something we definitely uh, want to watch for, for the show. I've heard nothing but great things uh, about that. It just uh, it's a little movie that didn't get a lot of uh, attention. Nice. Uh, best original screenplay uh, went to uh, Everything Ever All at Once. Um, I think super fitting, right? Like if you've seen the film, I, I can think of few few scripts as original as that one, especially considering the breadth of the title, right? Everything Ever All at Once is uh, kind of a an endless, boundless opportunity of creativity. Like where do you go with that? And I think if anybody nailed it, it's them. Other nominees included The Banshees of Inisherin, The Fableman's Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. What do you got, Andy? What's next? Um, animated went to Guillermo del Toro for Pinocchio. No su- surprise there. It, it was a kind of a, a weak year in in that sense. P- uh, Pixar didn't turn out anything super super special like they do. Uh, Turning Red was also nominated, which is a good film, but like Lightyear, you know, which is uh, this is not a really great film. But yeah. good to see Guillermo del Toro win his third Oscar. Um, best original song went to Natu Natu from. R R R is nice to see yes. that that take. Thank God. Uh, and they did the the big dance number on on stage. Uh, it was good. Uh, best original in no, best international feature film went to All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, this was the front runner. I mean, it was nominated for best film uh, as well. So was pretty sure it was gonna win that. Any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I think that was the one I thought was going to win too. I mean, it's the only one I saw, but I felt really confident about it. Uh, that movie's, listen, All Quiet on the Western Front's a solid feature. Like it really is. It is not a bad movie. A lot of people were dunking on it on Twitter because they were like, what's this, what's this German movie winning, winning a bunch of Academy Awards? Like, okay, hold on. Easy. It's a good movie. It's on Netflix. You should go check it out. It's, it's grisly, man. It reminds me of Saving Private Ryan. Uh, best makeup and hairstyling went to The Whale. Uh, obviously, Brendan Fraser's uh, fat suit was a lot of work, and I totally respect that, but still surprised. Uh, the nominees included All Quiet on the Western Front. The Batman sneaking into here. Uh, Batman almost got himself an Oscar, at least for the makeup. Uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Honestly, a surprise. This one didn't do better, too, uh, but it is not to be nominated in Elvis, which I also thought might get it because Austin Butler does kind of almost look like Elvis. 
A best production design went to All Quiet on the Western Front. A lot of people dunked on this too. Must be hard to design a trench. More than that, all right? Let's not let's not be mean. Lots of trenches. Oh my god! It's lots of trenches. (laughs) Recreating trench warfare. Yeah, oh there's a God. scene where we seen where our lead stabs stabs a soldier and watches him bleed out for eight minutes, and like it's brutal, man. <laughs> like, come on, it's not it's not all just like ooh, it's your trench. Like it's more than that. Uh, other nominees included Avatar: The Way of Water, Babylon, Elvis, and The Fablemans. I'm noticing a lot of Elvis and a lot of not winning, which is crazy because <laughs> like it's rare you see a movie nominated so much and not get any movement. Yeah, I I really thought it would get something uh, particularly best makeup and hairstyle i'm really really surprised i went to the whale because i felt like every other movie on that list did it better um, yeah had more the whale to cover, the, like, the whale more. again is the whale is like three or four actors uh yes he's got the fat suit but elvis had a, yeah, a ton of set. like looks in, in in costume change uh wakanda forever tons of, of different um makeup all quiet i mean everything else i think probably deserved it Especially Elvis. Yeah. It's crazy. Avatar The Way of Water wins Best Fiction Facial Effects. No surprise there. That wasn't really a competition for that. That's really all all the main uh, ones. Best Cinematography went to All Quiet on the Western Front. And then Film Editing went to Everything Everywhere All at Once. That about wraps it up. Uh, Overall, and by the way, by wraps it up, I mean on the winners. We're going to get to the snubs in a second. But overall... Again, surprised at how many like big nominees won nothing. Pictures of Inishirin gets nothing. Elvis gets nothing. You know, like man, <laughs> it just goes to show. You lose, if you have a year sir. where like one movie is not, yeah, one movie is nominated. Good day, sir. One movie is nominated for like seven Oscars. That does not mean anything. Like it's not just to be nominated, but like that does not mean you won. And and there's no better way to say it than probably 2023. On the one hand, everything everywhere does incredible. On the other hand. Boy, the snubs, which I think is the perfect place to jump into the snubs. Who are we looking at, Andy? Who who got who got destroyed this year? Because normally it's the small well, studios. Normally it's the crappy efforts, but like they were all good this year. Yeah, it was it was some of the the bigger names we know. Uh, the Fableman, Steven Spielberg, Banshees of Inisherin, Martin McDonough, been in the industry twenty years, and then uh, Elvis. You know, Boz Lorman, uh, another Hollywood name. Uh, these were and these were great great films. I'm told the Fablemans is good. Now I don't have to watch it. That's what I said. It, it didn't win anything. Don't have to watch it. Um, <laughs> but it, it's really surprising because a lot of times uh, this has happened before. Where the Oscars vote for a name, they 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 vote for who's recognized, who who's kind of an institution. And this year, you know, the big awards went to uh, two filmmakers, Daniels, who are relatively unknown. This is only their second feature. No one really knows who they are, and they made this incredible original film, but the big names kind of lost out. Angela Bassett among them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not all bad. Uh, Kate Blanchett obviously did not win for Tar, but that would have been her third Oscar, you know? Like, which is, like, obviously it's a, it's a fantastic performance and probably won an Oscar for it, but, like, you can understand that, you know, why not give it to somebody new? Like, Kate Blanchett wins again, you know? Like, she's already won twice. It's not, Winning once is, is a huge achievement. Uh, Spielberg, kind of the same beast, right? Like Spielberg could take an L. Like it's not, it's not going to hurt his feelings too bad. Yeah, it's his life, and 
his life's work and his fableman's based on, you know, his childhood and his parents. And like, it's totally great. But like, also, you know, heralding in new people isn't bad. And the Oscars like kind of walked this fine line of like having just enough nominees in this year that felt new and exciting. Austin Butler, Stephanie Hsu, Hong Chow, uh, but also like awarding people who have been here a while, like, and have really put in efforts. And I think in that way, it's a good reminder back to, that old thing that Hollywood, you know, loves to vote for itself. Like it really does in this case, like the Oscars, I think are no better. The Oscars 2022, 2023 are no better show of like them, you know, giving out to people that they feel like really deserve it. All right. One more thing I wanted to mention, uh, James Cameron and Tom Cruise both didn't show up, which is like really funny. I think like the only reason those guys didn't show up is because they couldn't stand the camera being on them when they lose. Like honestly, right. There's no, there's no other reason you don't come to that. It's the Oscars. Yeah, exactly. Like these, these two her- heralds of film, right? Titans of cinema. It, 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 Tom Cruise gets in trouble for screaming at a guy on the set of Top Gun because well, you got to wear your face mask and we're leading the way for Hollywood and you don't show up on, on, on film's biggest night. It's because you couldn't stand the thought of losing. It's funny. Yeah, they, uh, it's, that is really funny. Like if you, if you thought you were going to win anything worthwhile, you would have shown up like if Top Gun yep. or Avatar were, were in the running for, for best picture. Also Tom Cruise, uh, some people felt he was snubbed for a best actor nom uh, for Top Gun. Maverick. I don't think he, he was snubbed. I mean, he, he's great in that role. But he's it's, Tom Cruise. It's nothing, yeah. He's, he's, he, it's fine. It's fine. It's no Brendan. Fraser so, yeah. Or Austin. But, no, I, yeah, I should, I, I should, yeah, I should clarify when I say he's Tom Cruise in the movie. He's just playing Tom Cruise. You're never looking at Maverick and thinking, boy, that's 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 Pete Mitchell Maverick who's been flying for years. He's Tom Cruise the whole movie. He never breaks character out of being Tom Cruise. He's just Tom Cruise, like which is fine and he's exciting and he, but it's like Ethan Hunt's the same thing. You're not convinced. You're looking at like Lifetime's agent Ethan Hunt. You're just watching the new Tom Cruise movie. He doesn't he doesn't get lost in the character. I he, I never like fail to see tom cruise and start to see somebody else like his his light as a celebrity like just outshines his ability as like an actual charismatic well i shouldn't say charismatic as like a, a blending an actor who blends into a script he can't oh leonardo dicaprio almost has the same problem but he can still kind of get there like there's a couple features leo you'll lose him uh wolf of wall street even if he does the hair right like he still kind of comes across as uh, jordan belfort you lose him in there but tom cruise is tom cruise and i love tom cruise but like, <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not what best actors about. It's, it's not, it's not about being a charismatic Tom Cruise. It's about being anybody who isn't Tom Cruise. Right. Like he could yeah. have got a, an Oscar nom for playing Les Grossman in top Tropic Thunder that you wouldn't even know it was him. <laughs> that's losing Tom Cruise. That's it. Like if you could do that, right. It's like, it's like uh, Mike Myers playing goofy characters. Like, and anyway, sorry. That's my Tom Cruise. Rant. Love Tom Cruise. <laughs> I don't have any problems with Tom Cruise. But like, come on, let's not let's not kid ourselves. He's not he's not putting out Academy Award yeah. really performances. Yeah, uh, Top Gun I think was thrown a little bit of a bone for best. Sound. It does have great sound, uh, but I also think uh, people don't really know what great sound is, and they, you just hear planes, and that that's yeah, like, yeah that's good, good enough. But it, sure. I mean, it could have easily won maybe editing or it was nominated for several awards. Like there were some other things it could have won. Yeah, sound gets lumped in, and, and shamelessly, I just did this on the show where I was like, I talk about sound. I did this twenty minutes ago. I talk about sound, but I don't know anything about it. 
Uh, yeah, it's like film editing or cinematography. Like 99% of the people, even casually watching the awards, have no idea what they are and don't care, right? You just kind of throw it to, oh, this movie looked good. This movie had good pacing, right? This movie sounded great. Like, it does. It, it almost feels like a little bit of a concession, you know, but it's fine. Um, but yeah, it's funny that two of cinema's like biggest, biggest names just could not, <laughs> could not stand the thought of taking an L live on tape. Um, anyway, uh, with that, we should probably wrap the show. Um, any other, I guess like overarching thoughts about the Oscars this year, Andy, any, any, any final thoughts? I, I, like I said at the open, I think it's pretty tremendous compared to the last few years. That's my take. What do you got? It was nice to see, see them, I think, get it right for the most part. Cause a lot of times, you know, you have years like where Moonlight won best picture and then you have the very next year, the green book wins best picture. Um, and so this year it seems like the people in the films that deserved the awards got them, um, for a change. Cause that doesn't always happen. No, it really doesn't. And like, for what it's worth, yeah, like everything ever was a fan favorite. It's a tremendous feature. If you haven't seen it, please go do Along with Banshees, along with Top Gun, right? And every other, everybody else on here. Elvis, The Whale. And if you want to know what we thought about any of these features, good news, we've already reviewed them. All you got to do is go to your favorite place where Offscript is and, uh, you know, subscribe. And go back and look at our old episodes and see what we thought. We talked about all these features. Uh, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, and I'll get to the other places in just a second. But before all that, Andy, what are we watching next week? John Wick, Chapter 4. The big action movie is back. Keanu Reeves is back. Uh, this was actually delayed a full year. It was supposed to come out last spring, um, but it's here now. It comes out this Friday. Theaters only. Set aside a, a lot of time because it, is, because it is nearly three hours long, um, but it's supposed to be full of action. It's been getting some really positive buzz and reviews, um, so we'll be back with that. And possibly uh, Shazam Fear of the Gods, or we might find something else to watch because <laughs> I've already seen it. Zach doesn't really want to watch it. So we might find something else, but we might Here's, end up doing listen, that. First off, it's probably a, a worth kindness. just getting over it and watching it. A, right, and it, right. at least for the people out there who don't want to see it, they can at least hear what I thought and, and take something away. And secondly, shamelessly, that movie's going to get clicks, man. Like, if I put Shazam on the YouTube thumbnail, the more people are going to click on that than if I put Woman Talking on there, which we should watch, and I would like to watch that. But Shazam's out. I'll suck it up and watch Shazam. Uh, John Wick, at least, I think will be exciting. I have not seen any of the previous John Wick movies. I tried to watch John Wick 1 a couple times. That movie's way more boring in the slow bits than people remember. The action's fun. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't seen 2 or 3, and at this point, Andy's told me, don't go for it. Just go in blind. We'll have a good split review. So from somebody who hasn't yeah. seen it, from somebody who has next week, John Wick uh, chapter if 4. If you haven't seen any of the John Wick films, just start with the second one. That's the second one's probably the best one. Uh, third one's yeah. a little ab absurd, but the the second one will you'll you'll get the gist because it really after the success of the first one, then they up the budget and like the script is better, the action's better, Keanu's better. Like it's uh, and it gets more into like the quote unquote lore uh, of the whole assassin universe. Um, start with the second one if you haven't seen any. Yeah. Uh, also, my, my nightmare for John Wick for uh, this week is, is yeah, I will love the action and I will be bored to tears by plot <laughs> that I don't understand like that. That will be the worst scenario. So hopefully it won't be that. Um, I'll let you know how it is from a newcomer perspective. And you'll let you know as a series vet as of this year when you watch them. Right? So. Uh, with that, uh, that's the show. That's Offscript episode 209. If you like what we're doing here, if you like the show, if you want to find out more about Offscript or you know what we're watching next week or 
maybe check out some older views, things we've covered in the past. So the easiest way to do that is to just follow us on any social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, we're around. We're on YouTube where we upload our live streams uh, every Tuesday when we do them. We're on Facebook where we actually do live stream every Tuesday right around 5 p.m. CST. And we're on all the usual podcast outlets, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Amazon, right? We're around. Uh, we're on the internet on a website. Good God, this is turning into a fumble. I'm fumbling, Andy. Offscriptfilmreview.com. Yes. Christ. Uh, you can write correspondence. I think. Offscriptfilmreview.com. Uh, with that, I should wrap the show. Thanks for listening uh, to episode 209 of Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.